brilliant to feel, you know, that energy, enthusiasm and appetite for the language. I really feel that people are waking up to what we could lose. People focus on tourism in Ireland and the, you know, obviously the tech and the education system and all these important things. But the language has seemed to just fall by the wayside. And how? Because language is a psychological phenomenon. Like, we think in ways that we speak. We have words, even existing from Irish, you know, words like even jazz, jazzy, comes from gajas, nice. Hmm. And snazzy comes from snas, meaning polish. Oh. Loads of things like, do you dig it? Comes from undigantu, do you understand? Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark, and with your permission, we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least. Ireland has been an independent country for just over 100 years now. And in that time, we as a nation have looked to both the US and the UK in terms of how to structure and develop our society. Some might say that in doing so, we've lost a bit of our own cultural identity. And so the question is, what does it truly mean to be Irish? Molly, our guest today, teaches the Irish language online and has over 100,000 followers on Instagram. We talk about why the Irish language is such a dividing topic in Ireland, its huge cultural significance, and whether or not it might be the key to unlocking the true Irish identity. I really hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation, guys. It's a topic close to my heart and was really great to hear Molly's passion for the language. If you'd like to learn a little bit of the Irish language, whether you're starting from zero or already have a little bit of a base, I'd really recommend following Molly to get back into the swing of seeing and hearing words Osgwelga in Irish. There's a link to Molly's profile in the description of this episode. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you could share it with a friend or leave a rating or review. By doing so, we get to reach new listeners and continue to grow this really warm and supportive community. The support that we have received to date has been breathtaking, and I must say that I'll be forever grateful to all those who have reached out to us, shared the episodes, rated or left a review. It's just been amazing. But now, without further delay, here's my conversation with Molly. It's easy to find people who are very comfortable speaking English despite not having mm. grown up with it or maybe learning it as an adult. I was just checking the census from 2022 just now, and only 10% of the people who say they can speak Irish say they speak it very well, mm. which is kind of shocking. It is, yeah. You um, know, and I think 40% of those, like 40% of the population, said that they never speak it despite knowing how to speak it. So, yeah, that is that is strange. Um, and I, I want to know, like, I'll get trying to get to the bottom of your opinion on, as to why that is. Um, but maybe just for a point of reference for people who are listening, um, I would say that I am a very stereotypical case of uh, maybe an Irish person with the Irish language in that obviously I learned it in school mm-hmm. Um I wouldn't necessarily say that, to be honest, I, I enjoyed those classes, but I did not, there wasn't many classes of uh, Irish that I, or sorry, in school that I actually enjoyed. But um, then I came to like 18 years old and, you know, I was proud actually that I could speak about it. I was, I've always yeah. been proud of the fact that we have an Irish language. But since the moment I finished the Leaving Cert, I had never used Irish again since. Mm-hmm. And I think just the majority of people that I know in the community that I'm around 
I'd say that's probably the case for most of us. Mm-hmm. What, like, if if we go back to when you were a uh, fifteen-year-old Molly, like, yeah. what was your relationship with Irish, and how has that yeah. led to to your a bit situation now? Good question. I mean, like, you know how a lot of Irish people hold this shame of not speaking it or not speaking mm-hmm. it too, too well, or even if you are speaking it, that you're not a Gaelic or didn't come from a Irish speaking family. So I didn't grow up, you know, with Irish as my first language. My mom was a primary school teacher. So she was, you know, really positive about Irish. My school was through English, but a lot of the instructions, you know, like it's like put your chairs on the table and all this, close the door, was all through Irish, which I think was really helpful and really nice to kind of have it on your ear. My grandmother uh, was a great Gaelgor. She worked for Anoiga the hosteling organization. And she was, we say the first woman in Ireland with the scooter. So she would scoot oh, wow. the length and breadth <laughs> of the country and speak That's Irish. Amazing. And yeah, it was amazing. So she was a great kind of reference for me and inspiration. And then my Irish was good enough at school. Um, I think as a young teenager, uh, I was interested in other things. I was quite academic but then went to the Gwaeltacht, went to Irish college mm. and I got kicked out and sent home for speaking English. No way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. so they, they put me on the train back from Galway to Dublin. And I think I was just trying to express something to someone who wouldn't understand in Irish. And I remember the words yeah. exactly. I said, are you mixing that green paint for me to a man called or boy called Rob Ayres from Galway? And someone heard me and it was the strictest Irish college you could go to. And they were like, oh, Ali, I'm willing to be kind of sparely. Are you, are you speaking English? And I was like, I am. And they said, well, fair play for being honest, but here's your train ticket and off you go. Oh, my gosh. That's I incredibly know. strict. <laughs> yeah. Traumatizing. I'm still not over it, as you can tell. I'm very bitter. But um, yeah. I came home. My parents were livid. I had my phone taken off me and I was only 13. And then I explained my case. I wanted to be a lawyer at that stage. And my dad called them up and he was like, was it really just like one sentence in English? And they go, yeah, that was about it, you know. And he was like, that's not fair now, come on. And they offered me a scholarship for the following year to go back. So I went oh back. Oh my gosh, this is, and then, I can't believe that. Like, okay, sorry, go ahead. So I went back and um, then I just loved it. Like I was, you know, on the there was all these weird things about Irish college, wasn't there? Like the the wall of Graw, like you if you were in a couple, you had your stud on Kalosh, then babe of Kalosh, the on Aaron Mala on the wall. Oh my god. Anyway, yeah. and I became the free Finnera, the kind of head girl yeah. of the college after a few years. And at that stage my Irish was good. Um I did a good leaving, but a bit like you, I didn't really use it or speak it after after school. Like yeah. for a couple of years, I uh, started traveling. I was teaching English. I became a Zumba teacher. I was sailing around the world on the Peace Boat, which is the UN sponsored NGO with about 900 Japanese students and Misha and me and a oh few other God. teachers and translators. And they were just like, oh, are you Irish? Do you speak Irish? And I was like, oh, it's Quiffenlum Kupla Fuckle. I remember a couple of words. And they just wanted to do Irish dancing and speak Irish every day that's fascinating we did that and then i was like god i'm so proud to be irish like the more i traveled the more i was away from ireland Mm. the more i got english 
I was thinking, I love teaching and I love breaking things down to be more accessible and more digestible, you know, and just to let people know anyone can do this. It's such a vibrant, you know, meaningful, rich language. And then the pandemic hit, I was teaching back-to-back Irish lessons for like 14 hours a day, everyone all over the world. It was mad. But like, is is this... Uh, that's uh, but there's so many questions within that actually, yeah. but like uh, like sailing around the world with uh, what did you say like how many Japanese people 900 Japanese people yeah. that must have been an amazing experience um but listen I, we, we might go into that a little bit later um it's it is interesting that your you know people's pride in in, in the Irish language actually can be ignited from people who are not Irish um, and, yes. you know, that's why I'm interested to have this conversation is because so many people ask me about, you know, the Irish language and, and Gaelgan, like they don't really get why we don't speak it or why we might be so proud of being Irish. And, you know, let's just say, you know, we're not English or whatever. We're very different. Yeah. But yes, we we don't speak a, a different language. And within that language as well, there's so much. I guess, of our cultural identity that, you know, I I can't be hypocritical. I have to say that perhaps I haven't got that connection to the cultural identity because I don't speak Irish to a high level. As a point of reference also, I began following you, I think, uh, probably during the pandemic. And it was a a moment of, I'm going to try and learn Irish again, right? And I started with, you know, maybe Duolingo as we we all do. and then I just struggled with that because this, there's such randomness of the sentences that you, you learn on Duolingo. I just, <laughs> yeah. I quickly just ran out of patience. Um, but the the language that you teach through your, your profile on Instagram is very functional language. And that's mm-hmm. why, why it's, I find it quite interesting. You know, it's like, uh, okay, I can actually use this word or I can contextualize yeah. how to use this, this phrase. Um, mm-hmm. That probably comes maybe from when you were teaching English, I guess, as you said, kind of using those methods to teach Irish. I think so. And this mindset that is like, don't have any fear. You know, what do you really want to say? What do you need to say? Um, Feel comfortable with what you know, even making mistakes, you know, setting up the profile and hearing from people who might have dyslexia and got an exemption at school in Irish or... um, you know, drop down to pass just because the system makes you choose between maths and Irish in a way. Like, do you do higher maths Mm, because of your time restrictions? People from the North saying, oh, I never had the opportunity to learn Irish. It just really struck me. This has been so polarizing and so punitive, you know, the way the language, yeah. I mean, like you say, I think it was a lot of, just trying to make language learning very fun, open, accessible, that really Mm -hmm. influenced how I teach Irish and how I thought, okay, this is how we can kind of make it uplifting, make it a joy to learn, you know? Mm. Yeah. Where would, like, what's the the kind of demographic of the majority of your students? Are they, are they Irish? Yeah, good question. They're on Instagram, I think about 40% American. Um, wow. Yeah, about maybe 25% Irish, then maybe British, Canadian, Australian, and the rest of the world. Mm. But their followers, I think maybe my students, 
I had been teaching one-to-ones for years and a lot of them were, yeah, probably mostly American and Canadian, but you wouldn't believe like some Chinese people, Hungarians, um, Moroccans, like it would blow your mind. People not speaking Irish with their horses in Kentucky and waking up at like 2am <laughs> Russia to learn Irish. It's incredible. And then I would I would be like having a spontaneous conversation with them. And then an Irish person about to sit there leaving search would be like, oh, I really need to practice for my oral, you know, and I really want the A1. And they'd be quite ambitious and very smart and everything and really going for the A1, the highest grade you can get. And they wouldn't really be able to have a spontaneous conversation. Yeah. They have to stick to the script. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. wow, you've been learning for 14 years. And this guy... In Hungary, started age 60 and has been learning for two years. <laughs> it's so random, uh, but but amazing that that happens. And it sometimes can put you to shame because I have got to meet people. Um, I remember there was a Russian woman that had moved here. She lived here for like 20 years um, and she decided she was going to, you know, learn Irish. And yeah. next thing, you know, a couple of years later, she was bloody fluent in Irish. And <laughs> You, it makes you feel so bad about yourself. Yeah. Here's a woman and she just came over and she's like, oh, you guys should learn your own language. And then she's like, here, look, I'll just show you how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, amazing. I I do feel like we should make more of an effort. Do you think that we like the the problem is the education system and how it's taught or or what is the issue for, for us Good not question. using it? I think the syllabus you know, the curriculum is a yeah. huge issue because even the most gifted, you know, charismatic teacher can't work with that. It's like, yeah. who wants to teach that poetry? Or yes, there's not enough relevance in the system to make kids and teenagers who are, you know, studying Irish as a compulsory subject in Ireland to want to use it outside school. Mm. So I think that's one issue. But I think... um just the fear that people have of not being perfect and they don't really understand it. That's the thing. You're going to drag through level by level. Oh, now you're at this level. You need to know these texts and you need to have this mm. style of listening comprehension instead of knowing why is there a H in that word? Why does it have an ending? Why? There's so many whys. And I love to break it down. Like these are the seven features of the language. This is the Uru, which is, you know, eclipses. This is the Shavu, which is Lenitian. People need to know that mm. before they know how to form a sentence. Mm. So I think there's not enough kind of logical breakdown of how the structure of the language works. Yeah. Not enough relevance and not enough kind of fun brought into language learning. I know teachers are under a lot of time pressure and basically they're working towards an exam and that's the real problem. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And that's the problem with maybe teaching languages in general is like, how do you actually assess it? Well, mm -hmm. like, is it just through a conversation or, or, or whatever it might be? Um, like going back, I remember learning, let's say, for example, the Mokanilok yeah. in school, but I had no clue what the Mokanilok actually is. I yeah. just thought it was a square in the wall with really weird <laughs> conjugations and verbs yeah. and I just used yeah. to pray that I never had to use it um but I never sorry use yeah. it I mean I, I never knew when to use it or what it is now I mean, yeah. that could that's, that's probably crazy. as much my fault but 
Um, no, I mean, that's so common. People are like, oh, that's just a scary grammar concept. And so is the Thishul Ginnaduk, you know, the bad boys of yeah. Irish grammar, which are the conditional mood and the genitive case, which are literally everywhere. If you were learning Spanish or French or another, you know, school subject in Ireland, but language, you would learn phrases like I would like, or if I yeah. won the lottery, I would buy. They're mm-hmm. really kind of quite basic phrases, you know. Yeah beginner intermediate but in Irish they're it's nearly like yeah they're I don't know you learn off three phrases including that structure and you mm. can use those in your exam yeah. instead of just knowing how to apply it and it's yeah it's very satisfying and very easy well <laughs> yeah to, to tell people well, well yeah exactly it's it even feels intimidating to hear that yeah. but- <laughs> I'm like, let's do it now. We can learn it. But you can actually learn it. I've got a 90 second video on my Instagram about it. About it. I'll, I'll give it a watch. If, if, man, yeah. if, you, if, if I can learn that in 90 seconds, that just puts the whole education system to a complete shame. But, um, <laughs> I few, Maybe about seven or eight years ago, I moved to Spain to, mm-hmm. you know, with the intention of learning Spanish. So I went over there with zero and I had a very kind of high opinion of myself and I thought that this was going to be easy um, and the next two years were incredibly difficult you know intense I I guess it was learning the language and also as an adult coming to terms with how often I make mistakes how much I can't mm-hmm. be myself etc and I didn't realize how difficult it would be to learn a language as an adult um, you're obviously limited in the amount of time that you have because most people work, etc. Yeah. Um, but also, second, on top of that, adults generally are not very, they're not used to anymore doing things, but we're not very good at. Like how often yeah. are you learning something new, whether it's, I don't know, bloody darts or whatever it is, like how <laughs> we're very rarely doing things we're bad at. So that's also mm-hmm. a shock to the system. And then that idea of not being able to be yourself, especially if you're learning a language where you have to use it frequently, like put yourself into the situation of being in the Gweltacht, for example. And I imagine if I was still to the Gweltacht now, I would really struggle because I'd be shy. Um, I wouldn't be speaking, you know, very often I'd be afraid to speak. It's like you said, you have this fear of making mistakes. What are people thinking of me? Mm-hmm. Um, all of, There's all of these complications in learning a language as an adult. Um, do you think that people appreciate that or they have no idea of that when they're starting classes like learning Irish? Well, to be honest, I think it's the myth. And I think it's also proven that it is a bit of a fallacy that, you know, kids just soak it up like a sponge. They're just, mm. uh, they can pick up a language, you know, willy-nilly. But mm. as adults, we also can, we just have deep-rooted fears and insecurities and obviously other time commitments and constraints, but we don't believe we can. Whereas a kid, you don't have those, you know, things that are holding you back. You just listen to it and repeat it. You don't mind making mistakes. You don't mind if someone tells you, say this 10 times, you just do it. Whereas an adult, you might be like, I feel like a fool and I don't want to go in there and embarrass myself, et cetera. But you definitely can learn a language efficiently and well as an adult. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, and sometimes quicker than a kid would and better, especially if you have, you know, habit forming 
kind of systems and you embrace the challenge. And like you say, being a beginner is very tough and we're not really used to it. But really getting into that beginner mentality, like, well, it's all new. I'm going to learn loads. The curve is steep, you know, in a good way. Did, did you learn that beginner mentality from being with 900 Japanese people? Don't they have a specific <laughs> yeah. concept for that? Um, well, I learned a lot from them. They don't like making mistakes at all as a generalization, but okay. um, they do practice everything. You know, like the Irish dancing was incessant. It was just like every day, meet <laughs> on the top deck, off we go. The walls of Limerick, you know. Um, Amazing. <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, I've met some very interesting people who truly let themselves into this learning method and go for it and absorb it all. And of course, it's frustrating to learn something new and make mistakes. But I was actually thinking about this this morning. I went to a yoga class and the teacher said, don't think of yourself as stiff as you're starting off the class. Mm. Think of yourself as dry. And then you're oiling up your limbs and your muscles. And by the end, you always feel smoother, lighter, stronger, Mm -hmm. you know. And I thought that's a bit like learning anything. You're frustrated because you can't bend, you know, you have mm. no agility. But the more you learn, the more you're kind of wetting the sponge. And then yeah. you're able to bend in all shapes and forms and even shrink and expand. And you kind of just have to trust the process and trust yourself. And yeah. if you really want to learn it, you will, you know. But that's it's really I, I love that kind of, you know, when imagery and vocabulary and how that can shape our experience and our reality actually because your teacher said to you you know basically they changed the word stiff to dry yes. which creates a different image in your head mm -hmm. which creates perhaps a, a different reality for you um and i've always been really interested in, in, in that type of thing and it's like it's quite powerful really how yeah. much language can influence our our reality i actually watched mm -hmm. a ted talk i can't remember the name of the guy i'm really sorry for that i'll include the ted talk in the description of the episode mm -hmm. uh, but i think it's it's quite a famous one but it's a guy speaking at a ted uh conference in somewhere in the us talking about the irish language actually mm -hmm. and he's talking about how um let's say phrases or vocabulary that we have in irish that might be different to english you know, have a certain beauty to them. Yeah. And perhaps there's a sense of humor in them. Like, like, again, you might be able to tell me the words for this, but I remember he was talking about the word for jellyfish being a seal snot translation. Yeah. Smugger like, your rowan. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, but that's quite humorous. Exactly. There's loads of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot that, that we didn't learn at school. Imagine if your teacher just came in and told you, okay, this is the seal and this means snot and together it makes jellyfish like draw it write the word say it you know kids love that but it seems like it's lacking like the stuff I would teach in a first lesson is stuff that people in Ireland don't learn in sorry there's a glass bin outside um oh. in yeah years of school do you think that there's any kind of secrets that or some things that in of our culture that we're missing from our day-to-day -day lives by not like there must be so many things that say, for example, if you're talking to someone from Brazil, you know, there's lots of Brazilians in Dublin now, but mm -hmm. perhaps is there something that you could reference to them about Irish culture, which comes from the language that maybe I wouldn't be able to explain to them? Mm -hmm. 
We have so many phrases and expressions that are literal translations, you know, and like you say, maybe some of them are being lost because we're not using the language that much. And some people I see online saying, you know, that the Celtic tiger and the last few years have kind of eroded that Celtic spirituality that existed, you know, pre-Christian Ireland and pre-colonization. Mm. So people are aware of the well-known ones, like the feelings are on us in Irish. Mm. So we don't embody sadness or happiness or, you know, fear. It's yeah. just like a cloud resting on us and it will pass. So in mm. Irish, the structure is like Tobrón Urum, sadness is on me. Yeah. I am sad. Mm. And there's loads of these that can be applied, like things are at us. You know, in Irish, yeah. it's at me is the structure, not I have it. So it's like, we don't own anything. It's all to be shared. Mm. But even simple things like saying now, like, oh yeah, I'll meet you online now in 10 minutes. We don't mean now, we mean in 10 minutes, but there's yeah. this presence to where we are and what we're doing. And that's amazing. Today, yeah, that like something like a third of the Irish vocabulary is negative adjectives and that we have like so many great insults and curses for each other, but they're very endearing and affectionate really to show how yeah. much we like people like, you know, you're like you lanky, lazy Egypt. And there's all <laughs> of these that I think tie into the Irish sense of humor and the warmth and the lightness of being like, we don't really mean it. Yes. So much to be explored there. Like even this hedging and tentativeness that we use in our language, we use wood a lot more. Like if I said, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd probably vote for, I'd be voting for Fianna Fáil, for example. Yeah. And um, we don't say I vote for them because that's too clear and direct for an Irish person. Mm. Like we don't tend to say yes or no. There is no yes or no in the Irish language. We tend to like, you know, even saying like feck and shite and arse instead of the other words. We, we soften everything. It's like Gee, I, this social cohesion, you know. I actually never connected that in my head that there's no literal word for yes or or, or no. Yeah. In in Irish, it has to come from a structural or, or like like exactly. you could say sha, but what what's the exact meaning of of sha? Sha means it is so. So you <laughs> would only use sha if the question is like are you a teacher? Like, is teacher you? Is, and then a noun, you, you'd be like, it's though, you know, or yeah. is Irish you? Are you Irish? Sha. Is there enough me? I am Irish. But if I said like, are you working at the moment on will to, are you? You would say, ta, I am, because it's a verb, you know. Mm. So. That yeah. is so, that's <laughs> it really, it's such an ancient language. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of kind of history, I think, to be discovered through that as well. I have looked into this a few times and I don't think I've ever actually got a conclusive answer for myself um, of the origins of the Irish language. I mean, I know that it's uh, perhaps we don't know exactly where the origin really is, but it's obviously it's not a Germanic language. It's not um, a Latin language. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to have any connection to those whatsoever. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, you're right. It is an Indo-European language. Um, what does that even mean if it's an Indo-European language? So it comes from, well, 
I hope I get this accurate enough. So it comes from a wider family of languages and it has influences from Latin, you know, but it's a Goidelic language from the insular Celtic branch. So basically there are other languages that we know that are linked to it. For example, Scottish Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic developed out of old Irish in the seventh century. So moving over from Antrim to Scotland Um, and then that kind of evolved you know, the fathers go the other way, the accents over the mm. vowels go the other way, and it's a similar enough language. We're connected to Manx from the Isle of Man. Mm. And then the other strain of the Celtic languages are Cornish, Breton, and Welsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first kind of inscriptions on Oam stones, these stones, you know, standing stones that can be found still around Ireland and Wales and Cornwall, Scotland, um, the language was written in a series of dashes and dots in around the third century, I think was the first time people discovered those. Okay. Today, someone told me they found it fascinating that monks in 500 AD were creating the, you know, from the Latin alphabet, the sounds of the Irish language, like this very intricate and clever system of creating yeah new sounds using latin letters wow so people find it bizarre that you can look at a you know a name like mave m e father a d h b h and it's not mm-hmm. but it's mave and there's all mm. these nuances and like kind of you know there's a little like leap in the voice and a different tone used and an inflection because of the silent dh or the guttural so do you, bh do you think then that this like obviously the irish language existed perhaps so essentially the latin alphabet was placed on top of the irish language yeah before the irish language was just a verbal language so it wasn't written down and it was just spoken. So then, but it yeah, is the oldest, time. yeah, the oldest vernacular literature in Western Europe. Um, but yeah, so it seems like monks wrote it into using Latin alphabet. Wow, that's fascinating. I, yeah, I never thought these. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think like what could be, again, if this is... Unfortunately, I, I I hear these things sometimes and they go into my brain and I, I I never remember where I get them from. But someone once told me or I read somewhere or saw somewhere, whatever it was, that there were some similarities between I'm this is a pinch of salt, right? Some similarities between the Mongolian language and the Irish language. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if that's in terms of verb structures or the sounds or yeah. whatever it might have been. But then, interestingly, you know, you see these studies now that are done on the early Irish people and testing DNA. Um, and it seems that people are, are are thinking that there was a you know a high percentage of Middle Eastern people who kind of migrated to to Ireland. Oh. So sometimes I wonder, you know, that um traveling of people across the european continent eventually ending up here in ireland and then maybe being secluded i guess to a certain extent from the rest of europe mm-hmm. um if that had an impact on on this language that that we speak here as irish people it's just i don't know i find the whole yeah. thing fascinating 
I mean, there are some incredible links between Sanskrit, for example, and Farsi and um, so many languages, Urdu with with Irish. And people have all these hilarious stories of talking to like an Urdu speaker in Ireland and they start doing the hain, a do, a three, like one, two, three in Irish. And they do their language and they're very similar. They're really breathtakingly similar. Um, but yeah, it, apparently there were a lot of settlers from the Middle East, but the Celts came from there originally and traveled over to Ireland. We also have a lot of kind of old Norse um, roots in the Irish language because of the Vikings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's uh, so interesting. Isn't there something as well, like someone told me before that the word for uh, ladybird is something yeah. like a something cow I can't remember. yeah cow yeah. god's little cow god's little cow. yeah exactly what an amazing word for a ladybird um but apparently <laughs> i don't know is it in russian or some of the the scandinavian languages it there's a similar translation so yeah, perhaps it was an influence from the Vikings or or something like that. I mean, that's what I that's what I find super interesting is you're learning about history through a language yeah. because if you make that connection, then you have to go. Oh, okay, these people obviously mixed it up because it's too random. It is way yeah. too random that two very separate societies both decided to call ladybirds God's little cow. Uh, it's it, that's I'm exactly. sorry, but it just can't happen. <laughs> yeah, and I think going back to what you said, like how fascinating the way we can learn a language through, you know, etymology and history and these nuggets. Like I used to be a camp counselor in Switzerland and there were a few activities the kids really didn't like, but you had to just pretend they were the greatest thing ever. And they got really into it and really competitive about like, you know, this boring card game while they were waiting for a fun game, like the trampolines or whatever. Mm. So I think that's, if you came in and explained to kids like guests, like out of these three, which does ladybird mean you know to mm. gamify it and to make it like yeah just very kind of bright and buoyant engaging at the yeah. end of the day exactly yeah. well so you, you seem to have had quite a like a, <laughs> an exciting uh, few years <laughs> anyway whether it's in switzerland or traveling around <laughs> on a boat and um, you obviously don't suffer from seasickness no no i no. love the water love sailing okay. yeah so this was one year, you said? It was about four or five months. Yeah. So I was walking the Camino de Santiago and I met mm-hmm. another teacher and I said, what are you going to do after this walk? And he goes, I'm applying for the peace boat. And I was like, well, I've never heard of that. What is it? And he said, it's a UN sponsored NGO. They sail around the Southern Hemisphere, Central and Northern Hemisphere. And they're kind of peace and conflict resolution activists. And they pick up academics lecturers and activists from different parts of the world like pick you up in Cape Town drop you off in Rio and they sail oh and you spend a few days in every port and I thought I would love to do that so I was teaching at the time I think in Cordoba in Spain and mm. then I applied for this and went to Yokohama got on the boat and yeah just absolutely loved it it was like another I thought it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity but a lot of people on the boat said yeah this is my 17th voyage like I live here now (laughs) oh my god um so your life then has been very kind of as 
uh, a spontaneous or a kind of just jumping on opportunities when they come? Or has this whole thing yeah. been a, a very clear thought plan? Good question. I mean, in many ways, you know, the way things only make sense backwards. At the time, mm. I thought, just do what you love. Grab, like, say yes to opportunities that seem good and that you will learn from and you'll grow. And then when I look back, I'm like, it all makes so much sense. That led me here. That connected me with this. And even today, I was thinking that two years ago, I wrote an article about teaching Irish to people all over the world. And I was like, you won't believe this is just fascinating. Like, there are people building Irish pubs in their basement in Texas and having a lesson with me at like three in the morning, their time, and they're fluent or they, you know, this blind man in California is speaking Irish. He knows all the dialects. He listens to the radio nonstop. He's just phenomenal wow. and has never been to Ireland. And then I wrote about these people and I was trying to make a documentary about them and I sent it to loads of papers and no one took an interest. And then it's two years later and I have the biggest online community of Irish language learners. And I'm like, wow, it's like a, a seed was planted, at least in my mind. And just, yeah, I suppose love for what you do and passion and I don't know, daily grit gets you where you want to go. You have but to I, have that passion though. It's if yeah. you don't, yeah, grit's not enough. In my exactly. Opinion. Yeah. And the same goes for learning. You know, I think I always bring it back to mindset, I suppose. It is really about mindset, method and motivation. Yeah. So what like if you if I was to say, right, Molly, I'm I'm interested in in learning Irish, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, relatively busy um schedule. How am I gonna fit this in? How can I do it? What would be the advice that you'd give me? So I would say, take your time. I mean, don't be hard on yourself. Make a realistic plan. In my courses, I have study plans. So it's like, are you a grognog? Are you a hedgehog? Do you want to do like 30 minutes every week? You know, and just carve out that time and do it for yourself. Um, Are you a couple? Like you're a horse. Doesn't couple sound more like horse than horse? Yeah, it almost sounds like... (laughs) You're galloping. Yeah. So, yeah, one thing is be organized, like start as you mean to go on. I had an old violin teacher who used to say, we make time for the things we love. Mm. And I suppose I didn't really love the violin at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one thing, being held accountable. So we have like a telegram group and a 24-7 open Zoom room so people can practice any time of day or night, meeting people from all over the world. So I think making it so that it's not just that class. You're not like, oh, I go to an Irish class once a week. Or I go to the Gwiltok yeah. once once a year for a month or whatever. It's like, use it. Go to seek out these Kirkle Kora, like a conversation circle. Just say, Slán, you know, goodbye at your local shop. Ask your friends and family, do you speak Irish? Like, on will Gwilga Agus. Do you know, Erwalat Kainchlum, like, do you want to speak with me? And making it a part of your living existence. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just a hobby that you have that you do for that hour or for that space in your week, you do it, you write in your diary, like, oh, ta, you know, ta on in you. I have the dentist today. And you try to think, what is that word in Irish? You know, so I think 
sticking to yeah a plan creating a community for yourself um listening as much as you can you know getting into irish music would be very helpful um connecting with other gaelgory sharing it teaching is the best way of learning you know like you said there's so many brazilians in ireland for example and they're so fascinated by irish and it's wonderful yeah. to be able to teach them this is how you say my name is or how you say thank Absolutely. you and when you see like places like Belbriggan, you know, growing into a Gwail tucked area, it's pretty phenomenal. Like there's so many Gwail Skullina, so many immigrants coming to Ireland, you know, with such dreams of integrating with society and uh learning Irish. And they can do it. They have the motivation. They join Gwail Skullina. They're they've no fear, like Irish people, and they just do it. So I think. Yeah, making it part of your daily life, seeing a bigger picture. Like, it's not a dead language. It's, there's a resurgence happening, you know, it's trendy. <laughs> that's that's what I was going to ask you that. Do you, like, okay, it's trendy, but do you genuinely see um, a resurgence in this? Because I remember actually around the time when I did the Leaving Cert, I think that they were, it was, they were speaking in the doll about whether, in the Irish Parliament about whether um, Irish should be mandatory in school or not. Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking to my friends about it. And I was like, I, at the time I even said, and I still think that it should be, it should be mandatory. Mm-hmm. But I remember actually, I was probably in the minority. Okay. Uh, a lot of my friends said, no, come on, you know, like let's, you know, we're at a disadvantage here. It's not a used language. People are coming from, let's say Italy, Spain to Ireland and they have an advantage over Irish people because they speak two languages. What's the point in us learning Irish? Like it has no actual use. Um, but it does seem that people are like there's a growing interest in speaking Irish again. But yeah. I don't know if it's kind of like a small cult movement or if it's actually I know because I obviously surround myself with the language and a lot of people I follow are activists and things like that. And I care so much about it. And I wonder, am I kind of in a bubble? But then you notice a lot of restaurants have Irish names. I mean, Fia is the top Irish girl's name for the last really? three years or something, which means wild and dear. Um, and thanks to, you know, machine learning and technology, it can be made more widely available for people, resources, are being created, you know, translations are getting better. Um, I think with globalization, yeah, we're seeing, we don't want that stale stereotype of being like the drunken Irish. We have such a richness of mythology and folklore. Yeah. And, you know, even in our place names, Irish is hiding everywhere. Stories, you know, meaning, even in our names. Yeah. So it's, I think really pivotal it's a time of change and it's a time to go like we are our own nation like it's been a hundred years with the republic you know amazing people like Krohor Rua on Instagram Shlina Rua is his name he runs decolonization courses it's like a workshop on decolonizing the mind and the land and it's breathtaking and there's so many people doing things like that around Ireland like you know, doing solstice events and um, just really connecting with our heritage and our history. And I always ask my students, why are you learning Irish? And I have a few different, you know, poll questions. 
and 80% of people say heritage and identity. Yeah, uh, that is fascinating. Um, first of all, I'd love to check out, what, what was his name? Shlina Rua? So S-L-I underscore N-A underscore R-U-A-D-H. Mm. Um, I can link I don't it. Know, perfect. I don't know if it's because of my own personal interest or if it's, if it's again, people who are on the outside um, or even in general, like you get asked so many t- like questions about Irish culture and who you are. Yeah. And it did seem that, you know, let's say post-independence, we had half an eye on on what was going on in the US and half an eye what was going on in the UK. And we seemed to kind of, let's say, um, use kind of those as crutches and kind of limp our way into a, into a country, an independent country. Yeah. But now I think we're coming to a point where it's like, actually, hang on a second. Who are we and who were we before all of that began? Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm personally very interested in that type of thing. I spoke to a few weeks ago to Dermot Ling, who runs, you know, he he runs actually, or was running anyway, an, an Irish retreat mm-hmm. and in County Kerry, you know, for adults to go um, and just speak. And it was kind of like a guelt to speak for a couple of weeks and to, to do different activities. And it sounded amazing. Um, but he was, you know, he's very charismatic in the way that he speaks and he talks about, you know, Irish being part of your soul and your spirit and it's in there and it'll come out eventually once you practice it. Yeah. Um, but there, there is all of these aspects of our identity in the language. And I personally, even though I haven't made any actual actions towards it yet, I'm afraid that we lose that because if we lose that, who are we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. Um, like you say, you know, it's inbuilt in us. Like, in a way, I think we can't lose it. And Mancon McGann, you know, the kind of yeah. uh, big name in the Irish language, he has written some fascinating books and he's quite hopeful. I think he wrote in one of his books, it can't really be lost because it's a story and a story never ends or it's like, he's not afraid of the language fading, but I think that's because maybe he just believes so much in its power that the structures, even if you ask someone, do you have Irish? That's an Mm. Irish structure. Yeah. Even if they say I have no Irish, that's not a British way to say it or an American or Australian way. They'd say, I don't speak that language. And we would say, I don't have it. Because in Irish, we have a skill. We have a language. It's mm. at us. Yeah. It's that structure. Um, mm. But yeah, I think, like you say, you know, now we care so much more, maybe after leaving school, after it was drilled into us or forced on us. People, a lot of my students are, you know, living in Hong Kong or Kenya, raising their kids and saying, I want Irish sounds in my kids' ears. I don't want them to grow up without Irish, even if I hated Irish at school. I want mm. them to learn our native language. It's an indigenous language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's only spoken in Ireland. There is a Gaeltacht in Canada. And it's it's so rich and deep and fascinating, tender and humorous. It's so integral to who we are, I think. Do you know, and this is a question off the cuff, so you might not have a clue about this, but um, are there any clues as to the kind of spirituality or the beliefs of 
let's say the pre-Christian people who are here speaking speaking Irish on a daily basis, um, or any clues as to you know, I don't know aspects of of what they might have believed. Good question. Recently, I was talking about how, yeah, how the English we speak in Ireland is um, can be considered as like a colonized way of speaking because we're overly polite and kind of subservient. And we say things like, oh, if you wouldn't mind, get me, oh, take your time whenever you get a chance, like, oh, thank you so much. You're as good. You're as good. And then in other countries, they might just say, uh, coffee, please. Yeah. You know, and like quit the niceness. And Irish is quite straightforward. We just say like, long. I would like uh, coffee. Yeah. And in a way, it's like not apologetic. It's just the way we speak. And I really felt like it is a pre-Christian language. It's a pre-colonized language. It's a way of being in the world. And it's so connected to your surroundings. Irish is full of prepositions. Things are at us, on us, about us, before us. Even very simple things. Like if I was teaching, Gaurav Mahagat is thank you. Gaurav Mahagat. And it really means may goodness be at you. So it sounds like I'm giving you goodness, you know, or you should have goodness. Like, mm. Let it be at you. And then even like, you're welcome, tofolcha, rowat. Rowat means before you. So there is welcome before you. So it's like you're that, leading someone. Leading someone or what you're actually doing is, is, is just essentially um, creating a presence for something that you cannot see. Yes. Does that make sense? Even that like sadness is on me. There is the, as you said, it's our bronerm. It's, it's something is like physically on you. You obviously can't see that, but you can feel it. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, that's an interesting part of the language because these days, obviously, you know, with, with so much happening in our lives, with so much technology, with, we live in a very materialistic world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't often think about things that you cannot see, for example, but yeah, that a language like this and helping mm-hmm. you to navigate even your emotions, that's mm-hmm. incredible. Like, yeah. yeah, we just can't, we can't lose it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's up to you, Molly. You have to, <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to go viral times a thousand to, to teach doing my best. this language. You're, yeah, you are. You're doing amazing. But it's brilliant to feel, you know, that energy, enthusiasm, and appetite for the language. I really feel that people are waking up to what we could lose, you know, mm. like the the extent of what we have there in the Irish language. It's cultural currency. You Big know, time. people focus on tourism in Ireland and the, you know, obviously the tech and the education system and all these important things. But the language has seemed to just fall by the wayside. Yeah. And how? Because language is a psychological phenomenon. Like we think in ways that we speak, we have words even existing from Irish, you know, words like even jazz, jazzy comes from gajas, nice. Mm. And snazzy comes from snas, meaning polish. Like mm. wow. loads of things like, do you dig it? Comes from undigantu. Do you understand? And that's even amazing. smashing, that smashing is like comes from smash in. That's good. And even slon, goodbye, created so long. <laughs> I said there this to go. my English friend recently and she goes, Molly, no one says so long. 
And I was like, but come on. (laughs) So long, farewell. Um, There's so much of it. I always say it's like we are speaking Irish, just using English. And like you said, it's time to just regain that spirit of we are a republic, you know, and we are our own country and we don't need to be like Americans. We don't need to be like anyone else. I think in the Mm. 90s and, you know, through our life, you know, we've felt like you said, maybe what are they doing now? Is that cool? Maybe we should do a bit of that. Oh, let's start speaking like Americans in a way. Like, no, we are, we're Irish. Like, let's be proud of all our history, everything that's been built in our little yeah, island. I, I never, I, I would spend, I would come home from school um, and I used to have those um, petty flu yogurts and yeah. I would watch Neighbours. Yeah, <laughs> and then in the evening you'd watch The Simpsons or something like that. I like know. you, you never spend any time apart from maybe watching the news, which your parents might have been watching. You never watched any Irish cultural things, no. and perhaps that's in, like part of the reason. Like we don't really have a clue who we are, but even if you think about what we're exporting, you know, mm-hmm. bar maybe the job opportunities and. Guinness and Jemison and these types of things. What else in terms of our culture, what can you export? Yeah. Um, like you look at South Korea, for example, as an example, like that culture is like so incredibly popular at the moment, mm-hmm. whether it's K-pop or the movies or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And they have such a strong and they've done so well to export that culture internationally. But if I ask myself the question, what are we exporting? What would we export? Like, it's hard to know. <laughs> yeah, I get you. And I think, um, you know, like you said, the Irish culture is so strong worldwide. Everyone knows, like even Irish butter, it's the best in the world. Mm. Like Riverdance, you know, Enya, you too. Like everyone knows it's a very strong and well-preserved entity. Like even the color yes. green, and even if it's stuff we don't like, leprechauns and lepping around, and yeah. it's still really well known. And then the language isn't even on our own island, which is quite bizarre. Yes, it is and quite like bizarre. You say, it could be that people go, oh, but none of my favorite TV shows in are, are in Irish. Like I want to watch Neighbors, and I want to, you know, have mm. toys from other countries and have pop tarts and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, but. Funnily enough, that that I still I still think the pride is still there. It's just mm-hmm. the effort, and because like every every bloody signpost in the country is yeah. in English and Irish, mm-hmm. um, and that's there. Like I, if you said I, I would imagine if you asked Irish people whether they would like that taken away, I would say ninety nine percent of people would say no. I want it mm-hmm. to be both in English and in Irish. True. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I remember also listening to to another po- podcast before, and they're comparing Catalan. Um, and Catalonia with Ireland and they were saying you know two like let's say groups of people very proud of who they are where they come from in one place they you know 99% of them speak Catalan and in Ireland you know 1% of people speak Irish Mm -hmm. and I think that the main difference the Catalans studied Ireland as an example as to why that's happening and as far as I'm aware they came to the conclusion that it's because post-school you have no utility for the language. Yeah. So in Catalonia, if you go to university, it's going to be through Catalan. If you want to work in any public job, it has to be through Catalan. Mm-hmm. So there is a utility for the language after 
after school. Um, I'm not saying that we should introduce that here, but it's just an interesting concept that perhaps... Definitely. Yeah, I get you. I think, um, you know, with high-speed internet being all around Ireland now and you see these kind of nearly competitions like win a year in the Gwaeltops for a young family, join the local school because the school is going to close if another young family doesn't join. And those competitions or lotteries, whatever they are, are really popular. And then the families end up staying and encouraging their friends and family to come stay as well. Because, you know, with the pandemic and people moving out of cities a bit more and realizing nature is wonderful and uh, we can work from anywhere. And also, why don't we connect with something so key to our identity and our history as Irish people? I think that's another reason why there's hope for the language. Um, and in terms of, yeah, the success stories of like the Basque country as well. I used to live there and it mm, blew my true. mind how much Basque was spoken and how beautiful it was that young people were really educated in both Basque and Spanish. And, you know, they're as different as Irish and English. They're completely different languages and it can be done. And you can see how proud they are of the language. And I think, you know, as you say, some people see Irish as a waste of time. Why invest so much of your childhood being forced to learn a language when you could be learning more maths or more something that's important, etc. But it's like, there's no time wasting if it's all through the language. If you, now they're training teachers to teach, you know, PE and art and a lot of the core primary school subjects through Irish. Brilliant. It, it's kind of a no brainer. Like if you grow up with more than one language, you have better memory, you have more confidence you're able to pick up more languages when you grow up. It's yeah. no waste of time at all. It's actually time efficient. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it goes back to, to maintaining that kind of cultural identity that something when, when you get to, to my age, when maybe you're 34 and you might, you might actually want to, to have that, you know, you, you might mm -hmm. not realize that when you're 14. Yeah. But when you get to a little bit older, you, you'd be incredibly grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just it's putting a function to the language, isn't it? It's utilizing it in a way that that makes sense. Um, Molly, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I I really really appreciate the the time you've given us and and being able to talk to you. It's been really interesting. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Thanks. Mike. Yeah, I I'm sure I'm going to obviously put a link to your Instagram in um in the description of the episode for people who are outside of Ireland listening to this now, I'm sure they're going to like love kind of checking out the different and, and you explain things really well and, and it's really easy to follow as well. So even if you don't have a clue what Irish is or Guelga is, I think your, your videos and your descriptions, like you can start from nothing. So that's, um, that's really like, that's difficult to do. So well done on that. Um, <laughs> That's all I got. Now I'm afraid. I think we should finish there. <laughs> um, Molly, thank you so much.